0: Good morning, church family. What is good? I'm excited to be able to hang out with you this morning. Um, that song, that song was uh, on it, man. I told uh, Michael kind of what I was preaching on, but that was just like perfect, perfection. Um, what what the, the line says, it says broken vessels um, that were able to, to pour out um, on account of God. Um, I think there's just something so beautiful when we recognize that we're not the ones with the stuff. We just hold the stuff, right? We're just vessels that can take what God has given and then pour it out on other people. But then it says broken vessels. Um, and there's this term that I learned when I was in college. It's called kinsu kuroi. It's Japanese. So I'm sure I slaughtered that. Kenta, sorry, bro. Um, but basically what it is is that these clay jars or these um, ceramic uh, vessels are broken and then they're repaired um, with gold or silver or plat- platinum. Um, and so it's through being broken and being put back together that their value is increased exponentially. Um, and that is exactly um, what I'm going to talk about this, uh, this morning. And so that, that song just connected so well um, because it's coming to understanding of our brokenness and being able to admit that we're broken, that we become repaired um, and our value increases expone- exponentially. And our capacity to be able to take what God gives us and to pour it out on other people also increases exponentially. So, hey, I'm super excited that you guys have joined us this morning. Thank you for Uh, driving all this way here. Thank you for those who have joined us online. Dre, I appreciate you watching specifically, man. You're awesome. Um, We're going to be talking for a little while here. So if you guys have not yet pulled out your Bible or opened up the Bible app on your telephone, go ahead and do that at this moment. Um, I want to talk to you guys first and forehand about pressure. Uh, Specifically, it was pressure that brought you here this morning. The Kilopascals of air compressed tightly in your tires, kept them inflated on the way here, and got you here. It was pressure that brought you here. It was the pressure of the uh, gasoline mixed with air that was compressed by pressure um, that was then ignited and was used as fuel to get you here. Um, and this morning, I want to talk to you about the purest and most wonderful kind of peer pressure, pressure which is peer pressure. Ruin that. Man, it's Okay. <laughs> The Lord gives grace. I want to talk to you about peer pressure, one of my favorite kinds of pressure. When I was in middle school, I had the best kinds of friends. The kinds of friends who said, I bet you won't. The kinds of friends that say, I dare you. The kinds of friends that would say, you know what would be cool? We're not allowed to, but those kinds of friends. So really good quality friends that would pressure us into all sorts of Poor decision-making, right? And so one time specifically, I was over at my friend's house, uh, Jeremy and Cole, and they have a two-story house. They have a two-story house, um, and it's convenient because on the first floor, there's a balcony, and the roof is slanted just so that you can climb up on the first floor and then walk around and then climb up onto the second floor roof. They also had a trampoline. And so the conversation began. Hey, you know what would be a good idea? You know it would be super fun? We've totally done it before. Chandler, you should jump off the second floor onto the trampoline. And so, you know, I being an eighth grader, I want to look cool. I want to be brave. I want to experience cool things. And so the pressure from my friends got me onto the roof. So I'm standing at the edge of the roof, and I'm looking down two floors, 30 feet, and the trampoline's there. They're like, bro, I've done it before. You're going to be totally fine. Come on. I love trampolines. My parents, for some reason, thought it was unsafe for us to have one. I can't imagine why. It just doesn't make sense. But I wasn't allowed to have trampolines. So any chance I could get to jump on a trampoline, amazing. That experience then, I imagine, would be heightened if I increase the distance from which I jump. And so I'm standing up there. I'm about to do it. I'm ready. They're hyping me up. They're pressuring me. It's going to be amazing. And right when I'm about to go, their grandpa, papa, pokes his head up on the roof. And he's like, Chandler, I think you should go home now. So praise the Lord for Papa. Shout out, Papa. Oh my goodness, that was a poor decision in the making. Um, And it just, yeah, that would not have gone well. Children out there, parents, I apologize for giving that idea to your kids. Kids, don't do that. You will get hurt. It's not funny. It's only a little funny. We're going to be in Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. Go ahead and say Russell, when you get there. Awesome. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your love, God. I thank you for allowing me to be a vessel. That's all I am, God. Everything that you've given me, truly I've received from you. I have nothing on my own accord. And so I thank you, God, for the privilege it is to be up here and to share you. I pray that you will just pour out your spirit, God. You have indeed given me a word to share this morning. And so I thank you for that. I ask that you'll prepare the hearts of those who are listening online and in person to receive what you have to share this morning. In your name, amen. So we've all heard this story of Ananias and Sapphira, but I want to take it from a different angle. I want to look at it um, based on some of the principles that I think are underlying in the story. And so for that, we're going to have to get some context to this passage. There's a lot of ways you can get context. The entire Bible provides context. The book of Acts provides context. And the preceding chapter also provides context. So we're going to go to Acts 4, verse 32. It's just a couple of verses back. It says, Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but that they had all things in common. And with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked, for all who were Possessors of land or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they were distributed to each as anyone had need. And Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostle, which is translated Son of Encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And so this is the context of Ananias and Sapphira. This is post-resurrection of Jesus. Jesus has come back. He showed that indeed he is the Messiah. Not only did he perform miracles while he was on earth, but he died for our sins and resurrected, showing the holes in his hands, showing that he was truly God. And so all the groundwork that Jesus did, that he saw no fruit for. In the three and a half years of his ministry, he finally saw fruit for. At the day of Pentecost, 5,000 were baptized. And that hype fest, that excitement, that energy was in the air. People understood that God was real, that the Messiah had come, and a movement had sprouted out of that energy. And so in that movement, people began to see that their monetary possessions, that their material things didn't hold as much value as the people around them. And so as excitement was growing, and as they began to evaluate the need in the community, they saw that they had something to give. They saw that by giving what they had, they could help someone who was in need. And as Jesus said while he was on earth, that in helping the poor, they would be helping Jesus. To the least of these. And so people are energized. They're selling their possessions. They're of one heart, of one mind. They're unified. It gives us a specific example of Barnabas, who sells his land and lays it at the apostles' feet. So present at that time was unity and oneness of heart among the people. There's an excitement and an encouragement among them, and unselfishness. As we read in chapter 5, there was also present at that time comparison and expectation. Comparison and expectation. Let's read verse 2. Acts 5 verse 2. And he kept back part of it. And he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it At the apostles' feet. I can only imagine as they were understanding the level of giving that their peers were giving, that the conversation, the type of conversation that went on between Ananias and Sapphira. Did you hear what happened in the market today? People were going crazy. Barnabas sold all his land and gave it to the poor. Barnabas, there is not a generous bone in that man's body. There is no way that Barnabas gave up his land, went in this market, and sold it, and laid everything that he had from that at the apostles' feet. There's no way. No, it's true. Everybody knew about it. People were going on about it. Ananias, you should have seen the way that they were talking about him, the gleam in their eyes. They admire him. They love him. Who knows if Barnabas even gave the full amount? But because of what he did, everybody was just going crazy. Do we, do we have anything to give? We've been holding on to that land for a while. Everybody's selling. Everybody's selling. It seems like the right thing to do. I know financially we're not in the best spot, but I feel like we could do it. I figured out this plan where we can get the best of both worlds. We sell it, and we give everything, right? We give everything. We keep for ourselves a little bit of a personal tax. You know, we went through with the sale. Uh, I can just imagine Ananias and Sapphira talking through this conversation, trying to justify what they were about to do, trying to figure out some way that they could look like, that they could be like, that they could have the heart that Barnabas had, some way that they could be able to be included in the unity, in the togetherness. There was comparison. There was expectation. Verse 3. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? So I have never, I had never caught this prior to reading this passage in preparation this week. But it is very interesting that Peter specifically is the person who addresses this issue. That Peter was the disciple to talk Ananias and Sapphira through this trouble. Because Peter experienced a similar issue, right? We have Ananias and Sapphira fronting. They're saying, yeah, we gave everything. We gave 100% I'm not going to show you the statement, just trust me, but we gave everything. Peter, while he was following Christ, said, Christ, I will die for you. There is nothing I will not give for you. I will die for you. He said, truly, I tell you, Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. Sure enough, Peter denied Christ. Verse 4 While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. So Ananias owned this possession. It was his, God had given it to him. And God said, You didn't have to sell it and give everything. You could have given some and told us that you had given some. But Ananias lies. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. And the young men arose and wrapped him up, carried him out, and buried him. Now it was about three hours later when his wife came in and not knowing what had happened. And Peter answered her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. Coming back to the story of Peter, Peter was there in the very presence of Christ. We don't know whether Ananias and Sapphira were, but Peter was in the presence of God himself. So what caused Peter to be in denial, to be in delusion, to lie about his ability to go all out for God, right? Because Peter said, Jesus, I will die for you. I will die for you. I think that being in that situation with what we know about Peter, Peter liked to look good, right? He's the first one to jump into the conversation. He's the one in the class that when the teacher says, who knows the answer, his hand shoots straight up, right? Peter, seeing how the other disciples interacted with Jesus, seeing how John leaned in and whispered to Jesus, who's the one one that's going to betray you? Peter, seeing these interactions, hungry wanting to have that intimacy wanting to have that close of a relationship with Jesus maybe it was that comparison him unwilling to really go inside himself and to say Jesus where are we at do i do i have the commitment level to say i can die for you he didn't do that he didn't go through that mental energy that spiritual introspection to see whether or not he was truly that committed to Christ It was easier to close that box and to lie and to say, Jesus, I'll die for you. It was easier to front. It was easier to call a delusion idealism. Right? He was in delusion. He was lying to himself. He didn't have that level of commitment. And if he had walked with Jesus, if he had had that introspection, if he had asked deeply, would I truly die for Jesus? He may have said, no, Jesus, I'm not at that point, but I want you to take me to that point. I want you to get me there. I'm not there, but I want to be there. But instead, he remained in delusion and called it idealism. He said, Jesus, I'll die for you. That's what I want to do. So I'm just going to say that's what I'm going to do. And I think sometimes in life, we go through that, right? We're like, yeah, I'm going to spend time with Jesus. That's what I'm going to do. And we don't allow ourselves to dig deep into the actual question, where am I at with God? How am Jesus and I doing at this time? Peter was boasting about his current state while refusing to actually evaluate it. He was refusing to actually evaluate it. Maybe Peter thought what he had to bring before Christ was not enough. Christ calls us to daily take up our cross. Jesus, I'm not at that point. I don't know you well enough. I want to, but what if what I bring isn't enough? So I'm going to lie. I'm going to say that I, I brought everything. And hopefully you just don't notice. Hopefully, I can just slide under the radar. I look good, right? I'm the one who just declared, I will die for Jesus. So all the disciples are like, man, Peter would die for Jesus? This fisherman who was swearing and cussing? That's that's the type of person I want to be. And so he's captured the attention of the other disciples. People are looking up to him. People want to be him. But in actuality, inside is an un evaluated fear that he's not enough. That what he has to bring is not enough for Jesus. Is not enough for Jesus. Now, in other areas of life, we don't worry about delusion. We figure out where we are, and there are certain decisions we say, no, I can't do that. That's stupid. Sorry, that's silly. I will not do that, right? If you're in the gym for the very first time, You don't look around at all the people who are lifting 500 pounds on the squat rack and say, I think I should do that. You'll tear your spine out. That's just silly. You would not do that. If you see people driving around a racetrack, you're not like, I want to do that. There's certain areas of life that we figure out, we see where people are, and we don't say, that's where I need to be right now. Because you're going to get hurt. You're going to do more spiritual damage to yourself. You're going to do more physical damage to yourself if you try to be where other people are at. And so the more time we spend in comparison, the more we feel bad about where we are currently. Where in actuality, if you get in the gym and you, you are where you at and you, you work gradually, you get stronger over time. But if you go in and you try and lift heavy weights, you're going to be injured and you're not going to be strong for a very long time. And so this is what Peter was dealing with he saw what other people had given to Jesus, the faith of the people who asked to be healed. He said, Jesus, that's where I want to be. And so he gets under the squat rack with 500 pounds, and he fails, and he's broken, right? Peter denies Jesus three times, and he's broken. He's let Jesus down. He's seen his Messiah be crucified. That level of failure, when Jesus needed him most, To continue fronting and to say, I got this. I don't need a spot. Don't worry about it. And then to fail, he thought there's no way that he could get back up. Pete lied. Jesus wanted authenticity, right? Jesus said, will you die for me? What Jesus wanted was for Peter to be real and be like, that's a big question, Jesus. Jesus. I don't think I'm at that point. I'd like to. Can you take me there? Jesus goes wild for the, the, the old woman who puts in two coins. Right? That, that doesn't make sense. Our human nature says, who wrote, who wrote the biggest check? Let's celebrate them. Let's put their name up on our website. But Jesus sees the woman who brings what she has. She evaluates. I'm poor. I don't have anything to give. Let me give what I have. She puts two coins in. Jesus says, Look at this lady. That's faith. That's honesty. Guys, when the child brings the loaves and fishes, Jesus doesn't just smack it away and say, That's not enough. The kid brought what he had. He should have been embarrassed. If he knew the plans of God, all right, we're going to have to feed everybody in this room. Who's got food? Who brought food to potluck? Some little kid comes up and Jesus is like, this is all we need. This is exactly what we need. It's the authenticity, the honesty to be able to say, God, this is all that I have. This is all that I have. Sometimes in life, we're afraid to appear as weak, right? We don't want to admit that we're not enough for God. And so we lie about what we have, we front, we're not authentic, when in reality, the strongest thing you can do is admit your weakness. The strongest thing you can do is admit your weakness. In the secular world, that's true. The only way to get strong in the gym is admit you're weak and work up there. In the spiritual world, all the more, when you admit your weakness and you bring to God the two cents, when you bring to God the loaves and the fishes, Not only does he grow it gradually, but he'll multiply it supernaturally. And so Ananias and Sapphira, whether it was comparison or an inability to spiritually do some introspection to see where they're at with God, they said, nah. Nah, I'm not about that. We're just going to bring Jesus what we have. And it should be enough. Because really, the apostles should be overjoyed. We don't have to give anything. The fact that we're giving anything, that's a gift. That's a blessing to them, right? So it doesn't matter if I do the introspection, it doesn't matter how much I say it is. They're net positive, they're going to be blessed. They justified it to themselves. Verse 7, now it was about three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what had happened, and Peter answered her, tell me whether you sold the land for much, for so much. She said, yes, for so much. Then Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. How have you agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Sometimes we think if we ignore it, then we haven't agreed about it. Right? But in ignoring the call of the Holy Spirit to a heart is a decision. It is a decision. When we neglect to evaluate what's going on in our heart and to be honest with God, that's a decision to lie to the Holy Spirit. And it's really easy to just not worry about it, especially in 2021. There are so many things going on. There's work. There's social life. There's trying to survive the pandemic. There's your boss who's terrible. There's your kids you got to take to soccer practice. It is so easy to get busy with tasks, busy with good things, right? Ananias and Sapphira were giving. They were blessing the church. They were so busy with good things, but they didn't do the heart work with God. They weren't authentic about where they were weak, where they were lacking, where they felt like they weren't enough. This is a slightly controversial story. In comparison to the early church, there's few occurrences where Jesus is chucking lightning bolts from heaven and just striking people dead. And so the question is, man, why why this extreme action? I think especially in our Western world, we view death as like, the, the, the height of punishment, that there's nothing more severe. And so it was interesting to me, I was reading this book about Roosevelt. And he goes and explores this river in the Amazon and super good book. What he ends up doing is they run out of food on their way, supplies are lacking, the indigenous people are going after them. And it comes to a point where one of their companions starts stealing from them and then ends up murdering one of their guys. Someone they trusted ends up murdering their guys. The circumstances were heavy. If they lost any more food or were slowed down at all, they had already lost canoes in the rapids. They had no idea where they were going. And if they didn't make it to their rendezvous point on time, they were going to run out of food. So the dilemma raised between Rodon the uh, Brazilian leader and Roosevelt, what do we do? Do we kill this guy? Do we leave him alone? Because of the difficulty of the circumstances, because the stakes were so high, they had to evaluate what action to take in order that everyone could make it. So Jesus has laid out his plans for this cathedral called the Christian Church. And it's not a typical cathedral, this thing is an Empire State Building, Dubai skyscraper, right? The Christian church is going to affect positively the entire world. And we're building the foundation. We're building the foundation. Jesus sees that if the foreman neglects the details in the foundation, by the time they get to the fifth level, let alone the 800th, this thing's going to go toppling down. God foresaw That comparison, that inauthenticity, that an inability to admit our weakness to God would topple the Christian church. Would topple the Christian church. And so Jesus, God takes action by taking the lives of Ananias and Sapphira. Comparison. What others valued about them more than what God valued about them was so important that they lied. Jesus saw that as a risk to the culture of the church. He values a church that is honest. A church that admits, I don't don't know where I'm at and I'm going to have to figure that out. A church that admits, I can only give 50%. That's all I have. I only have two coins. I only have fish and loaves. God values that culture so much that in the foundation of the skyscraper, he said, we got we to take these beams out. They're going to break and the whole thing's going to topple. The whole thing's going to topple. Back to the story of Peter. Peter denies Jesus and he's wrecked. He's failed. He's messed up. And that's it. Right? He's resurrected. Jesus is resurrected and Peter sees him on the shore. Peter runs to him. And Jesus cuts straight to the heart with Peter. He says, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yes, Lord, I love you. This is the only thing I learned from Greek class. Don't tell my professors. (laughs) The best thing. Okay, I'm exaggerating. Jesus says, Peter, do you agape love me? Agape is unconditional. Agape is the highest form of love. Agape is the love that Peter claimed to have prior to Jesus' death. Peter says, yes, Lord, I phileo love you. He's saying, Jesus, yes, I love you, but I don't love you the full amount. I love you, but I'm broken. I love you, but I'm weak. I love you, but I'm lacking. I love you, but this is all that I have to give. Jesus asked Peter a second time. Peter, do you agape love me? This is where Peter could lie, right? Is Jesus leading the question, am I supposed to be idealistic, delusion-filled? Or am I supposed to be real and honest about where I'm at in my weakness? Peter says, yes, Lord, I phileo love you. Again, Peter's honest about his brokenness. He's honest in saying, Jesus, I don't have what it takes. I'm a broken vessel. You saw me fail. I saw you look at me. Jesus, I love you, but this is all I have. Jesus asks him a third time, Peter, do you Phileo love me. Peter says, yes, Lord, I phileo love you. Jesus accepted. Jesus accepted what Peter had to give. Jesus met Peter where he was. As I invite the worship team to come on up. The authenticity is what God calls us to give. With Ananias and Sapphira... I'm not sure what drove their decision, whether it was comparison to Barnabas and to how people looked at him, how he was received, whether it was an unwillingness to look within themselves and to see their own brokenness. But we see this example of Peter, where Peter was honest with God. Peter was honest with Jesus. He says, Jesus, this is all I have. And Jesus says, that's all I need. That's all I need. So I want to encourage you this morning. Do the hard work. Do the hard work of figuring out where you're at with Jesus. It's going to hurt. It's going to take vulnerability. It's going to take honesty to say, Jesus, I haven't picked up my Bible in months. Jesus, I haven't given to you. I haven't treated my family well. But here's where I'm at. And I give it to you. And I give it to you. Thank you. I thank you, Jesus, for meeting us where we're at. For having paid the price in advance, God. You've seen our weaknesses, God. You've seen our brokenness. And it's when we bring our broken pieces to you, God, that you repair us to be even more beautiful, even more effective. I pray, Lord, that you will encourage us to go through the work, to go through the labor, to go through the time it takes to look within ourselves and see where we're at with you. I pray, Lord, that we will not fall prey to comparison. We've made it especially easy on ourselves in this day and age to be able to compare, Lord, and I pray that you will give a strong distaste in our mouths, and our hearts, God, to that type of comparison. I pray that you will give us a heart for you, Lord, for Jesus, That when we bring what we have, that we know you will smile at us, God. Thank you, Jesus, for your love. In your name, amen. I thank you each for coming out and hanging out with us. I hope you have an amazing and beautiful Sabbath. If you need special prayer, we're going to have some elders up at the front to pray with you. Thank you so much.